www.ccbc.com. Thanks for being with us this morning. Glad that you're a part of things here. We're, we've been working through Romans, um, the book of Romans. We're going to be uh, in Romans chapter 5, so if you want to turn there in advance, uh, feel free. In advance, meaning in about 10 seconds, we'll dive into Romans chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Um, last week we looked at 1 through 5, but I want to start there this week because it kind of ties in closely with... Uh, the, the overall picture and, and kind of the, the topic or question uh, that we're looking at today, which is really, um, how is it that my faith is enough? How is it that my faith is enough? So Romans chapter 5, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 5. Um, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And just by way of recap, uh, those first couple of verses, verses 1 and 2, talk about how we are justified or declared righteous. Right? Your faith in Jesus has been credited to you by God as righteousness. And because of this, you have peace with God. You have access to the grace of God. You have hope. And it's not only an eternal hope, uh, you know, for, for eventually to be with God, the glory of God, but it's also for the here and now. And it's a hope that will not disappoint us or let us down. Right? And so, after verses 1 and 2, when he talks about peace, grace, and hope, um, Paul, in, in essence, he doesn't ask the question, but he does answer a question. How can we be sure that we're in good standing with God? Right? Like, that's an important question, because we all have our doubts from time to time, about our salvation, right? How can we be sure we're in good standing with God? And maybe we wouldn't say it like that, but we might say something like, well, am I really going to get into heaven when I stand before the Lord? Or how do I know my faith is really enough? Right? That's the big question for today. Now, there may be a lot of different reasons why uh, underneath or going on inside why we may ask questions like that. Um, Here's a few ideas. First of all, because being saved by faith sounds too simple, right? That just sounds way too simple. Like, in the gospel, is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, really going to be that simple where all it takes is a genuine faith in Jesus to make heaven a reality for us? Like, if all we have to do is have faith, then we've talked about this before, it's like entering a cheat code or something. Like, we've discovered, though, in Romans that salvation is anything but simple on God's part. Right? It took Jesus to meet all the requirements of the law because we couldn't do it. And when He died on the cross for sin, He appeased God's wrath and redeemed us. He paid a price, the price required to buy us back. And that allows God to acquit us and declare us righteous without it being a violation of justice on His part. Because he can't just ignore sin. That would be unjust. 
So salvation is anything but simple, at least on God's part. But the fact that all it takes on our part is to have faith and believe in Jesus, we feel like we should have to do more. And so that might cause us to question, is our faith really enough? Maybe another reason is that we don't like to be needy. Right? We don't like to be needy. We'd rather feel like, well, we accomplished something rather than rely on someone else or acknowledge our need for forgiveness, right? To say that we're wrong. So we tend to think like there has to be something more we have to do other than just believe, to have faith in order to be saved because we don't want to be needy. Maybe because we keep messing up and it causes doubt. Like, I failed him again. I mean, we just took communion. <laughs> it was a constant reminder of like, ah, we keep falling short, but he keeps giving us mercy and grace. But, you know, isn't he tired <laughs> of us asking for forgiveness and mercy over and over and over? Maybe one of the reasons we're not sure if our faith is enough is because that's not how the world around us works. Right? Everything else that happens in this world is about working hard to earn what we get. Nothing's for free and nobody's just going to give it to us, right? Someone does something nice for us without asking and honestly, a lot of times we feel like we have to do something to pay them back. <laughs> right? Oh, they did this good thing for us. What can we do to show our thanks? We can't just receive that. Or maybe we, we wonder if our faith is enough because we just don't feel saved. We just don't feel it. Like maybe we did at first. There was some sort of overwhelming joy when we came to faith in Christ and that was awesome. But as time goes on, we kind of lose that love and feeling, right? We think we should always have some sort of emotion that confirms that faith. But we often don't feel anything special. And you know, the Bible has a lot to say about salvation, but nothing to, really to say about feeling saved. <laughs> Feelings are unreliable, right? Emotions are untrustworthy oftentimes. And God promised to save us if we came to faith in him. He never promised us we would feel saved all the time. And we know that, but instead we still we focus on our feelings instead of on God's truth. Like what we know about him from his word. And relying on feelings, that can lead us to continually question that relationship with him, right? Do I really love him? Do I love him enough? Does he really love me? And Paul clearly says that our faith in Jesus is what accomplishes salvation for us. But there's a lot of reasons, maybe more than, than I've even thought of this morning, ones that are rattling around in your heart where we just wonder, look, how do I know my faith is really enough? And I think that's a question, even though the question's not written out. It's a question Paul is answering in this section of Scripture. So last week, again, we talked about Romans 5, 3-5. We're not going to retrace all of it, but Paul suggests this, that the work of God in our lives and the presence of the Holy Spirit are assurances for us. Right? They show that our faith has truly accomplished something real in eternity. And they prove the genuineness of our faith and the certainty of our salvation. Right? So hopefully you thought about some of the things. We took some time last week to, to write some things down. Hopefully throughout the week you've thought of even more. But 
seen how God has been at work or how the presence of the Holy Spirit has, has been at work in your life and hopefully that encouraged you and brought you a greater hope. But it's also like Paul's first argument that when it comes to salvation, you can be sure that your faith is enough. Right? God's work in your life and the presence of the Holy Spirit, it proves that He's alive and working in you. Right? So that's like a first argument. How can I know that my faith is enough? God's at work in you. He's doing a work in you, and he's going to be faithful to bring that work to completion. And then in the next few verses, Paul lays out another argument. And so this is where we're kind of picking up with new, uh, new passage from, uh, from where we left off last week, starting in verse 6. He lays out another argument that assures us our faith is really enough. Verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more, shall, or I should say much more, shall we be saved from him by the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, there are likely some things in this passage uh, that you've heard before, maybe even familiar with, with, with chunks of it, maybe Maybe you didn't think about it as an argument for your faith being sufficient to accomplish salvation for you, but in essence, Paul does build that case, and let's work it through a little bit. Okay, Verse 6, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now that, um, in terms of righteousness, we couldn't get there. Right? That's the big picture of this verse. We had no chance of, of measuring up. But Jesus died for us when we were weak. Now the, the word here for weak in the Greek language is asthenes, and it literally means without strength. Right? It's not just mm, lacking a little strength. It's like having no strength at all. In, in some translations, you might even have it read, we were helpless. Right? We were helpless. We were completely helpless. There was nothing we could do to fix this situation. And Paul says at the right time, in other words, according to God's plan, right, when he, he was ready to execute it, while we were still in this state of helplessness, Jesus died for us, right? That, that, that makes sense. But then Paul gives us this great illustration of, that emphasizes just how gracious God is for doing that. And he says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Like if you think about it, we, we wouldn't likely willingly give up our lives for someone. Maybe we would do it for someone really close to us that we loved. Uh, we'd probably consider doing it for a really righteous person. That's what Paul's getting at here. Maybe even for someone who's really, really good. But if we're honest, even for a so-called good or righteous person, it'd be a long shot at best <laughs> that we would be willing to do that. But God is so much different because Jesus died when we were still full of sin. 
right? It wasn't that we were good or righteous. It was the exact opposite. He died when we were still full of sin. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still, still sinners, Christ died for us. And now, in these verses, Paul describes this as three things. Uh, kind of a key idea here is um, he describes us as weak, ungodly, and sinners. Right? And, and earlier, he even described us as enemies. Right? So, Paul is putting this reality to, to uh, illustration here. Right? Uh, rarely would someone die. W- would any of us give our life to free a convicted criminal on death row? Probably not. You know, a murderer? Nope. How about a sex offender? Nope. How about a thief or an embezzler? No. What if they're not a convicted criminal, but just kind of a shady person? Right? Maybe they're a liar or a cheat, or maybe they're just mean or snobby. No, I don't think I'm going to give up my life for that. Who would be willing to lay their life down for someone like that? Is what Paul's getting at. Probably seems ridiculous for us to consider, but that's the kind of thing that Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Like the ultimate good person, the perfect person, Jesus gave his life for the helpless, ungodly sinners who were his enemies. Right? That should demonstrate clearly how much God loves us and how gracious he really is. Again, that's the point. This is how gracious God is. Like, was there anything we did to warrant that kindness or that favor? Was there anything we did to deserve his love and grace? No. Like, his, his grace is unmerited favor. His grace is undeserved kindness. And I think, don't miss this because it's, it's pretty important in, in, in this uh, illustration that Paul's giving, is this, God's act of grace came before any act of faith on our part. Right? Like, he, what He did, He did for us when we didn't deserve it. That's how gracious He is. We did absolutely nothing that deserved the good thing He did for us. He gave us Jesus, act of grace, while we were still weak, ungodly sinners, and enemies of Him before we came to faith in him, our act of faith. And and I think what Paul's arguing here is this. If God is that gracious to us, why would we ever doubt that our faith is enough? Right? If God is that gracious to us, how could we possibly doubt that our faith in him is enough? Because this is who he is and what he's done for us. Now, verse 9, he says, Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? See, I keep saying how much more, because sometimes Paul puts in questions like that, and he talks like that. But it's, it's, it's probably important to realize, like, I keep putting it in question form, but it's not a question, it's a statement. It's, he's, he's emphasizing this, right? Therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Like what Jesus has done is made it possible for us to be reconciled. And if you think about it, that term reconcile, that's, that's about two parties coming from different perspectives 
coming to a place of agreement. Right? Like two enemies hashing it out. It'd be like Democrats and Republicans actually seeing eye to eye on something. Pretty amazing. Or like Duke and North Carolina fans getting along. Poor North Carolina, they're probably not even going to make the tournament this year. Just saying. It might be like the Jets and the Sharks coming together, or the Hatfields and McCoys, right? Let's put it in a term like that, becoming friends, right? But only in this case, the two parties who are at odds with each other are all us sinful people and a perfect holy God. And Jesus made this way for us to be reconciled to him. Because of him, we're justified, like declared righteous by faith. And again, remember where this all started in this book. Salvation, in order for us to be with God for eternity, salvation comes through righteousness. Like, we have to have the righteousness of God. We have to be in right standing with Him. And that righteousness only comes through faith, and specifically faith in Jesus. So Paul is saying, look, since we've been justified or declared righteous, by faith, we surely will be saved through that same faith. Right? Since, since God has declared us righteous by faith, and, and we've kind of like proven that to be true, he's argued that to be so true, then we surely will be saved through that same faith. Right? So the first thing is true, like we're justified by faith. Then he argues then the second thing has to also be true will be saved by that faith. That's part of his argument, saying, look, our faith really is enough. It really is enough. Okay, so verse 10. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Right? Before we were, at, before we were enemies, uh, before we were enemies and at odds with God, and now that we've actually been reconciled to him, like how much more confident should we be that we'll be saved? Right? Like he did this amazing thing when we were at odds with him, and now we're not. So why would we doubt now that we're in good standing with him that he's going to save us? Why would we doubt that? Right? If, if you wonder if your faith is enough to gain your salvation, then this is what kind of Paul's getting at here. If God would give his son to die for us when we didn't have any faith. Why would he turn his back on us now that we believe? Right? If, if he did this for us when, when we were sinners, when we were weak, when we were ungodly, when we were enemies with him, when we didn't believe, now that we do, why would he turn his back on us? Like, Do you think God would put his own son to death for you, a helpless, ungodly sinner and an enemy of him, and then extend his grace through faith and declare you righteous and give you his spirit and put his spirit within you, and then in the end, that's not enough. That's not going to be enough. That wouldn't make any sense. And that's, I think, what Paul is suggesting here. I want to share this illustration with you. Um, Stephen Armstrong, I've quoted him before. He is a teacher and author, pastor, but uh, had this illustration that I absolutely love. 
He said this, Imagine that two soldiers are at war on opposing sides. When suddenly one of the soldiers acts at great personal risk to rescue the other one's life. The one soldier proved his love by risking his life for his enemy. Now after the war is over, the two men decide to meet in a local cafe. They strike up a friendship made possible by that noble act. But then imagine as they leave the table, the soldier who had been rescued turns to the rescuer and says, I'm sorry, but but we can't meet again. And when his friend asks why, the soldier says, I just can't trust you. I'm afraid you'll pull a gun and shoot me when I least expect it. The other soldier is shocked and asks, if I was willing to rescue you when you were my enemy, why would I kill you now that you're my friend? Paul's saying, look, God, God has accomplished all of this for you. He did it when you were helpless to do anything about your salvation. He gave Jesus to die before any act of faith on your part. Do you think he would pull back on that promise now that he's finally got you? Why would he ever do something like that? So if God would give his son to die for us when we didn't have faith, why would he turn his back on us now that we believe That's Paul, what Paul is arguing here. How can we know our faith is enough? Think about why would God ever do something like that? All of this, Paul says, should assure us that our faith is truly enough. Last verse, verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. Like, because we've been justified, declared righteous, By faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. We have access to grace. We have hope, both eternal hope and hope in the here and now. Not only that, but we also have joy in Him. Joy in the Lord. And he adds, we have that because now we've been reconciled to Him. Right? The outflowing of salvation, the fact that we've been reconciled to God by our faith, is that the outflow of that is that we can rejoice and have joy in the Lord. Like, I, I, know, <laughs> I know of someone who I've talked with numerous times, uh, not here in this church, but they have a lot of questions. This question of their faith was always on their heart. Like, how do I really know that God's going to let me in? They had so many doubts and insecurities. Maybe... I don't know, maybe clinging to your faith and and trusting that it's enough comes easy for you, but for some it can be really, really hard. And when the doubt is there, the rejoicing, the joy that we're supposed to have, that's going to disappear. Right? And so, so as Paul kind of builds this argument that our faith truly is enough, he says, look, can we be sure that our faith really is enough to bring us salvation? And Paul argues the answer to that question is like this big time yes. Right? It really, really is. We can have confidence that our faith is sufficient and because of that, we can also have joy. We can also have joy. We're going to close with one more song of worship but um, if the team wants to come up, but we're going to take a moment and, and pray along this lines. Maybe you've got some doubts. Maybe you've got some questions. We all do at times. Maybe they're, they're pretty heavy. 
Like, man, I, I struggle with, is my faith really, really enough? Like, I'm trusting, I'm believing, but in the end, am I, am I really going to be good with God? Paul's saying, yes, it is. So I'm going to pray this morning just that God would reinforce that in our heart, that he would encourage that for us, and that he would fill us with a greater joy. Father God, we do want to thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. As we reflected on him in our communion time today, the incredible price that was paid for us on the cross, that he willingly died, gave up his life for us. What an amazing thing that he's done. And he did that for us when we didn't deserve it, we didn't earn it. We were weak, ungodly sinners and enemies of you. And yet he did this incredible act of love and grace before we even came to faith. God, help us not to doubt your graciousness. The grace that you pour out and offer to us. Help us not doubt that it's going to be enough. That the faith that we have in you, that we're trust, that we're, that we're putting in you, is going to lead us to a point where, where we can know, we can be certain that our salvation is sure. And God, as we are in that place, we pray that it would stir up a deep, deep joy for us. Maybe where our joy has diminished, may we, may we kind of cling to that graciousness that you have poured out. Cling to the reality that our faith truly is enough and that one day we will be in eternity with you, in your presence, in all your glory. We can think of that. And we can be filled with joy. And in this moment, God, we pray that you would stir up a joy, a love, an admiration for you, and that we'd be able to lift our voices in worship because you are so worthy and deserving of that. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Portico Church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. You can find out more about our church at porticocommunity.com.